welcome to Leader's Call to Adventure, the show for those that take the road less traveled. I'm Lori Ference. Today I'm speaking with Frank Butterfield, who some of you may remember I spoke about in the last episode when I talked to Slade Robertson. And all that started back when one day out of the blue, I was looking for something to listen to on my run. And of course I'm subscribed to Shift Your Spirits. And, but I hadn't listened to any of Slade's uh, conversations with other people in a while. I'd mainly been focusing on the ones where he was telling his personal stories. And those are my favorites, as I've said before. Uh, but this is something about this just captured my interest. And I was really, really glad that I checked it out because uh, Frank is definitely an interesting guy and his work is pretty incredible. In any event, in the last episode, I uh, spoke to Slade and we talked about something that Frank said when Slade interviewed him for Shifter Spirits. And I thought, you know, maybe I should really ask Frank <laughs> what he meant by that. Basically, he said, stop trying to manipulate the universe. So I get to that question in part two of this conversation. And the first part, I'm mainly focusing on some open questions to me um, that I had when I listened to Slade speaking to Frank about channeling and how he became a channel. Or I guess after speaking to Frank, it's really about him remembering or becoming aware of the fact that he is a channel and perhaps has always been a channel. This conversation is very cool. And uh, I've kept the first part, although I would usually divide uh, a longer conversation, try to make it equal in two parts. I felt to make this one shorter as it really focuses on the background to Frank becoming a channel, some open questions, like I said. And while the other part, oh, well, I just couldn't cut it. It was just so good. And every idea flowed into the next. So uh, for continuity, I made this one shorter and the next part longer. And I think you'll like that. I'm really looking forward to hearing your feedback on it because, wow, I don't know. My mind was blown. I think yours may be too. So the first question I asked Frank is actually about a uh, Shirley MacLaine miniseries that he saw in 1987 called Out on a Limb and how that impacted him. So here's his answer. Well, there were three things. Uh, there, <laughs> there was sort of a lifestyle because I don't know if you've read any of her books, but there's at least two of them, that one out on a limb. And then the one after that called dancing in the light. Mm -hmm. um, both of those books really are kind of, they're, they're operating on several different levels, but one of the levels that they're operating on is that they're kind of lifestyle manuals. And like, for example, in dancing in the light, she talks about taking a shower. Mm-hmm. And all of the different things that are in her bathroom and all of like the, I can't remember what they were, but there's like a crystal and then there's, or maybe several crystals. And then there's like bath salts from, I don't know where, but it's, so there was kind of a lifestyle and I was 20, I was 19 when mm -hmm. I was reading. So I was kind of like thinking, okay, well, this is how someone who does what she's doing does things. And so that was part of what was intriguing. But the part that really got my attention was the 
the two channels that are filmed and they're actually channeling. And at the time, I didn't really understand what that was. In retrospect, it's very obvious what an amazing thing is. And then what's also interesting is in Dancing in the Light, she talks about doing the filming and how the all the equipment just went haywire mm. constantly, both in with both with both instances. Mm. Um, but in the first one, um, the channeling is very it's very personality oriented. It's very it's a little bit more psychic than not. It has that kind of quality to it. But in the second one, which takes place in Sweden, um, that channeling is more, uh, it's in apparently some old, an older dialect of Swedish. Mm-hmm. And it is more in akin to like what Abraham would do or what I do. Okay. It's, it's less personality driven and more sort of just, you know, this is how things work and this is what this means. And this is how this can be helpful and useful. Whereas the first one was very like, they were really intimate messages for Shirley. And, um, are you talking about the first book or the first episode or the first, no, the first, so there were two sessions of channeling that are filmed. Okay. Two different channels. Mm -hmm. Kevin Ryerson is the first one. Okay. And he was a, he is, I think he's still alive. He is a student of Edgar Cayce and he went to the, uh, ARE Institute in Virginia Beach to study. That's how he learned to do what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And so everything he was doing is very, what I would call now is very sort of old school. Mm-hmm. It's, again, it's very personality driven. It's very like, these are distinct characters with distinct characteristics that come through as alternate, you know, maybe alternate realities or past lives of someone somehow somewhere. Mm-hmm. But they're very, the the two beings that came through are very specific and they have a very specific flavor to them okay. and a very specific energy signature. Yeah. And, uh, and Kevin apparently does kind of follow the Edgar Casey idea of he goes way deep in his sessions. And so that he moves around, he's able to like see without having his eyes closed, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, see with his eyes closed. Mm-hmm. The second, the second channeling session takes place in Sweden, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the channel. I'm pretty sure he he has passed away, but he um, he was more like like Esther Hicks would be. Okay, just very general, not very personality driven. Um, a little bit more like these are the ways the in which the universe works. Mm-hmm. And for me, both of those were really wonderful to watch to see essentially how it worked Mm -hmm. because I was already familiar with channeling as an idea where I was about the same time was aware of it. I'd already started reading Seth material. Yes. And um, so I, it just was really fascinating to see it because by, by the time I got to the Seth material, Jane Roberts had passed away. Right. And she had just died like a year before. Yeah. Um, So I kind of was like, Oh, there's nobody really doing this, and and I was very aware of like the Seth material is really leading edge stuff, and this is, you know, really really important for me at least personally. Yeah, absolutely but, for but, me too. And an opening channel was as well. It's interesting how the same kind of books <laughs> cross yeah. our path around the same time. Yeah. Well, and you know because they were really kind of out in the zeitgeist. So yeah. To speak. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I hadn't come across uh, Sonia Roman and Dwayne Packer yet. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that they were just, you know, over in San Francisco and Oakland right. available. Um, 
because I was in Austin. I didn't, and there were plenty of people doing what I was looking at in Austin, but I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I just saw this thing on television, which still to me is just amazing. It was ABC. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's never been anything since then. Mm -hmm. That's the only time they've ever done anything like that. And I don't know what sort of favors she had to pull or what she was doing in order to make that happen, but it was pretty amazing. Just the fact of it happening. Okay. Now review a little bit here. Rewind, I should say, because I mean, you know, you started in 1987 looking at that movie, but you said you were already aware of channeling. I'd like to go back even further in your lifetime and talk about what led you there, you know, to be asking those questions, to be aware that, um, you know, disembodied other entities could be coming through somebody that's physical. Uh, what got you there? Because it's not something, obviously, that, you know, I don't know, people, a lot of people on the street would um, would arrive at, right? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. There's a couple of things that I can sort of point to. The first is that my mother, um, who I didn't grow up with, was, but I did see like on, you know, during, on holidays and during school vacations, she was very spiritual and she, she's still alive. She's not, I shouldn't speak of her in the past tense, but at that particular time in the like early to mid eighties, she was going through her own kind of spiritual awakening and she had shared things like um, different unity teachings Mm -hmm. and things from religious science that was things that she'd come across that she liked. And she had actually, well, there's actually a hilarious little story about this. One of the producers of the movie where um, Shirley MacLaine actually won an Oscar, Terms of Endearment, Mm -hmm. which was filmed in Houston, there was was a producer who had been an entertainment attorney for a long time, but he lived in Northeast Texas, down the road from where my mom lived. And he had been the Texas-based producer for that movie and would go in to the restaurant that my mother and stepfather owned to have dinner a lot. And one day he walked in there and handed out on a limb to my mother and said, Shirley gave this to me and you need to read this. (laughs) Okay. And um, then my mother read it and being my mother, because she's just, she's fabulously broad-minded and yet can when she gets any whiff of BS, you know, so in, in she kind of tends to sort of throw the book against the wall. So when it came to aliens driving the car, which is part of what happens at the end of that book, she was like, Oh, Shirley, like, please. No. (laughs) So she tried so like when I was 17 or 18, she tried to hand the book off to me and I was like, no, I'm not reading anything. My mother gives me. But then a couple of years later, or actually about a year and a half later, I met this guy at a job and we, I fell in love with him mm-hmm. and he already had a boyfriend and they were like, they were living this Shirley MacLaine lifestyle already. And that's part of why I saw that in her books. But anyway, he said, you should read this book. And I was like, yes, what bridge do you want me to jump off? Of? <laughs> Whatever you want me to do. And so he's, I, I found the Seth material on my own, but he's the one who sort of opened me up to a lot of different things that my mother had been trying to give me. Mm. But I was like, no, you're my mother. Like, no, forget it. Right. Especially so, at that age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. particularly at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how that happened. And I don't, I couldn't tell you anything before then other than just a couple of little instances where 
I was sort of aware, and I, when I was a teenager, I was sort of aware that there was something else going on other than what I could see. And I, I kind of went through when I was in the first couple of years of high school, I went through a, an evangelical because I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and everybody there goes through this phase. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of went through an evangelical phase and got really, really religious, and then that just went away. It was like it came. It was like a, a phase or a, some sort of thing that I was doing, and then it was gone. Mm. But that's about it. That's and I can't. I don't really. I. It seems to me when I think about those times, it seems like this stuff just fell out of the sky. But however it all immediately made sense. There was nothing about it that I didn't understand, and which is, I find very curious. Mm-hmm. It is, absolutely, right? Because it, it just it yeah. just immediately made sense to me. And mm-hmm. particularly in reading the Seth material, um, I kept was reading, and I was like, oh, of course, of course, of course, of mm-hmm. course. That's the way I felt the whole time I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made so much sense in terms of, particularly in the explanations about religion and um, mass psychology and all, all the different topics that, that, uh, Seth covers. But, um, so I, yeah, that's, I, there's no like one thing or like I came from a long line of fortune teller, I, you know, there's nothing, I don't have any sorry, sort of story like that. Right. <laughs> just sort of, it just happened, but in retrospect, it makes sense, mm-hmm. but I couldn't have possibly predicted that that was going to occur, you right. know, it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, in a very sort of hilarious way, the guy that um, introduced me to all of this stuff, um, he stayed in Austin. I moved to New York City after I'd known him for about a year. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we sort of lost touch. And I always assumed that he probably died mm-hmm. because of the way he was very spiritual while he was also putting all sorts of things up his nose and taking all sorts of drugs and having sex with everybody. Right. So a very eighties sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, six years ago, I got an email from him out of the blue hmm. and I called him and, uh, for better, or for worse, I said, you know, you're not dead yet. <laughs> and he got it. He was like, no, not it's, it, I, I tried, but I just, I haven't been able to succeed at that yet. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we sort of reconnected. And when I went to go see him, um, he's actually the reason I live where I live now. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it, that's a very long story. Not really that relevant, but he, I ended up going to see him. He lives down in Fort Lauderdale. I live mm-hmm. in Daytona beach. Yeah. With, they're about 250 miles apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And in Fort Lauderdale, we went and we had dinner. Well, first of all, his dog hated me. <laughs> okay. And every, I've never met a dog ever that didn't like me. <laughs> I'm the one who like the cat that will never talk to anybody will come talk to me. Oh. So this dog was not having it. And at all. Which oh. was just like incessantly barking, barking, barking at me. So we then went to dinner and we sat there and we'd been there about 30 minutes and I realized from where I sat, and I'm sure this isn't completely true, he hadn't changed. Oh. But I had changed. And so I was no longer interested in somebody who was just going to tell me what I was supposed to be doing, like I was when I was 19. Mm. And, um, you know, at whatever I was then, 46, I didn't really care to listen to someone say, like, and you should read this and you should do this because, you know, yeah, that's just the way it works anymore. Right. So we kind of parted in a really bad way. Oh. And that... <laughs> 
and that evening I went, I don't drink, but I went and had a drink. And <laughs> okay. um, because I was like, I went and I sat at, at the bar at this, at this place that I love down there. And, um, the, who, the person behind the counter or behind the bar was saying, you know, you seem really upset. And I was like, I just got divorced. Oh. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, 25 years. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I, well, I haven't seen him in like 24 years, right? but we married for 25 years and I didn't realize it until today. Uh-huh. So he was a really, really, really huge influence. And I find it very interesting that he once again led me to the right place because now I'm in Florida, which I would have never come to right. if it had been for him. Yeah, so. yeah. So again, but it was shorter this time. Obviously, you weren't together for a year, right? It was just one uh, day. It was, like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, an hour and a half. An hour and a half, right? Things are speeding up. <laughs> wow, wow. Interesting. Um, something that you mentioned when you spoke to Slade about how all this came into your awareness, you know, the book Opening to Channel came in around 1990. Um, and then you were kind of in and out of the corporate world. And you said that you got a real job as a project manager uh, in contracting and worked internationally and with the U.S. government. But you said that you were always channeling doing that. I was wondering what you meant by that. Well, um, the first three years that I worked for that company, um, I kind of was a dilettante. There's just no better way to put it. I was like there because I could do the job. I had a certain software skill that they needed and I was fulfilling a contractual obligation that they had with their big, huge, gigantic contract. The, the skill that I had needed to be on the books. There had to be two people with that certification and I was one of the two. Mm -hmm. And then, um, we, this one big contract began to wind down and then somebody somehow decided I should be the project manager because I had been just a, I hadn't done that. I'd done more technical stuff. And uh, I took the job and then all of a sudden, because I got the job, everybody I was working with outside of the company just assumed that I understood everything that that implied, which I had no clue of. So I took the job like in August and then we had the next big ish, the next big round of work came up the next February and I was at a, um, a meeting in Newport, Rhode Island. And, uh, I overslept. This is like the first, like my first, like big, like I'm here representing the company. I I'm supposed to like deliver all this stuff that I have no idea about whatsoever. No one has trained me. No one has, very typical. Like, <laughs> oh, boy. No, I'm like completely unprepared. <laughs> and I, not only that, but I overslept. Oh, so boy. I come in, like roll in to this business, to this breakfast meeting, like 20 minutes late. And, uh, I sit down and I am just in a complete state of overwhelm. But then I begin, and I, I'm not doing any of this consciously, but this is the first instance I can remember where it happened. I'm sitting there and watching what's going on and watching the other people and trying and just taking notes, hoping that I can like figure out what the hell everybody's talking about. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden uh, just something came out of my mouth and everybody stopped and looked at me. And one of the, uh, one of the clients kind of nodded and was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, 
I wonder what I just said. No <laughs> like you didn't happened. understand what you said? You, it just no, came. I didn't. Oh, I, okay. I had no idea what I was saying. And so I did eventually, my knowledge caught up with what I was doing. And at the time, I just thought I was being really clever. I don't know what I even really thought. I certainly wasn't thinking along channeling. It was only in retrospect that I realized the, the um, four years that I spent doing that, that basically I was never up to speed uh, knowledge-wise with that job, ever. Mm-hmm. And I just, but I would sit in these meetings and these people would like start looking at me like, what should we do? And I, when I say that, I mean that very lightly. I don't, I really wasn't an expert and that is a very specific thing in that context. But in terms of practical stuff, people began to look at me like, not because you have this job and not because you work for this company, but because we know how to ask you this question, what should we do? And occasionally I would step over the line because I worked with attorneys. And so one of the attorneys would often kind of slap me back and say, are you an attorney? Where did you get your law degree? Um, which is a very l- lawyer thing to ask. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yeah, 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 sorry. You know, I would back up. But again, whatever it was that I said that made them ask the question, I have no idea. I don't know. And it just became this normal thing. And I began to realize uh, one thing I had decided to do is I had to bring somebody from my company with me to take notes because I would not remember what it was that we talked about. <laughs> but again, in re- it, at the time that was happening, I just thought I wasn't really good at keeping notes. I had all these other explanations for what was happening. But in retrospect, I can see, oh, no, I was channeling the whole time. Right. And even if I go back to like when I was learning that technical skill and I got that certification, I still was very much in the flow of letting things happen for me mm. because I was in overwhelm the whole t- the entire time I was in the corporate world. I was constantly overwhelmed because I didn't belong there. I just, I was doing it because I thought I needed to do it. So how did, how did you transition out of that? <laughs> I, well, a, a friend of mine, um, sold his company and made a lot of money. And so he was like, let's, we were, I was back living in Austin and uh, he was like, let's go to San Francisco for um, a week during the summer. Mm-hmm. So we rented a house up in Northern, uh, North of San Francisco in a little town called Guerneville, which is a beautiful redwoods, big river, wonderful, about 10 miles from the coast, 15 miles from the coast, really, really beautiful town. And, uh, and it also is, has the additional feature of being warm mm-hmm. in the summer, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, if you've ever been to San Francisco. I have, yes, I have. So um, mm-hmm. so we were there, and we had this wonderful weekend, or this wonderful long week, and the very last day I decided to get a massage from, you know, we were renting a house, and so the house had, like, you know, all the little pamphlets of all the different people in town, and I just went through the one of, like, the guy who looked the cutest. Of course, that's the best way to choose. <laughs> so he did this really, he, he was doing a massage, but he was doing all these other things, too. And I can't quite remember what he said. One thing I remember him saying was just asking me the question or laying out, like, you like to talk, don't you? And I said, well, thinking he was insulting me mm-hmm. is what I thought he was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you're too chatty, you need to shut up, Is what because that's what I assumed everybody was always saying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to pretend like that's not what he said, and I'm going to answer the question. And I said, yes, if you hand me a microphone, I can say anything talking about anything at any for any length, not realizing what I was actually saying. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, blah, blah, blah. We did, and it was a great massage and he was a really nice guy. And 
So after it was over, I was walking down the main street, going to meet my friend who had the car. And as I came around the corner, I could see this house that was um, kind of could have been in San Francisco. It was that kind of architecture. And it had the big blue California sky behind it. And then there were these red, red, red wood trees in the background. And it just hit me all of a sudden. And I heard this very clear voice say, you don't have to keep doing this. Mm. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because I immediately knew what it was. I was like, yeah, I don't have to keep pretending like I want to do this job and live this way. So my friend, who was also no, the voice, was, uh, the vo I'm just wondering how yeah, go, it no, comes through for you. The the voice is it? Was it, it like? It's just, not a. It's yeah. not an articulated voice. Yeah. It's more like I have a series. I have a thought that is right. on a track that's different than the one that my personality uses. Right, that's like clear cognizance in a way. Then, right? You just it just comes in. Well, I wouldn't put it as I like to say. It's not one of the clairs. Okay. Uh, it's more like it's a different track of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is me, but it's obviously, um, it's not holding to the personality line. Right. So I could say it's my higher self. I don't really like that phrase anymore, mm -hmm. but I could, you know, but that would be a really easy way of saying it, but it is actually me. It's just in this different track of, and it always gets my attention. What do you mean by in a different track? Explain that. It's well, um, you know, it's funny. I've never really talked about this before, but it's, it's obviously me, but it isn't me. It isn't the personality me. And so it, it's like it has this, you know, if the personality mind has all of these different, um, I, I'll say convoluted, but I don't really mean it that way, but it has this whole mass of things that it's about. Mm -hmm. This thing is more like a straight line that's just like here. This is very clear right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. It takes into account um, everything that's going on, but it doesn't try to address anything. It just says, like, you don't have to do this anymore. It's just very clear. There's nothing attached it's, to it's, it. Yeah, it's very clear, and it's not required. It's not mandatory. Mm -hmm. It's just, here's an idea. Mm -hmm. So um, so I did. I, felt, I did what it said. I, I went back to Austin. I gave my... <laughs> company five months notice mm -hmm. and uh and i was gone by the end of the year and uh and then all sorts of other things happened did but you know what about, you'd be doing did you have had, an idea no no, mm. no well what's hilarious about that is that i when i quit the the people that i worked for because this was a small company and i and i had been hired by the guy who owned the place they, he and his cronies, his like board of directors kind of people, they kept taking me out to lunch for five months, trying to figure out why I was leaving. <laughs> and, and because I was, you know, I was raised to be polite, I was trying to answer that question. And also, I didn't really know why I was leaving. I just knew I was leaving because I was ready to go. And I didn't know how to just be able to say things like, I don't know, or this is why, and I know it doesn't make any sense to you, and I don't care. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that then. Yeah. So I would say things like, I'm going to be a coach. And so I actually, the friend that had taken us on this trip, he did um, uh, like personal development within the corporate realm. And so he had kind of an HR bent, but he also did a lot of training. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to get, I'm going to coach with this company. And so I actually did their training like the January after I left. 
and have never really done anything with it. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, it was a thing to do in order to like get everybody else to shut up. Right. That you're doing something had, else. You have another plan. <laughs> and I had no idea. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, but what I did do is I took all of the money that I had and I basically spent it really fast. <laughs> okay. And um, within about a year and a half, I was kind of like, I had my car got repossessed, by the way, which is a process I highly recommend. <laughs> uh, because if you really, really want to know how attached you are to things, yeah. uh, that's a really good way to find out. Um, and, uh, and and just, you know, I had sold my house and I had like cashed up my everything and yeah. I was gone. It was all gone. Uh-huh. And which turned out to be fabulous and amazing and the best thing ever. Because I basically burned, and I burned all these bridges too. Uh-huh. Not intentionally. It must not have all. felt fabulous at the time. Um, I was aware. Well, yeah, no, it didn't feel fabulous at the time. But I was aware of the fact that it was it was necessary mm-hmm. because I really had invested myself into the idea that there is a job that will then take care of me. Oh yeah. And so that then divested me from my real job, which is to intend and manifest you know mm-hmm. that's what we're all doing all the time anyway mm. but i was diverting that by saying oh no i'll i have a job and that's how i'll get paid and i have savings and that's how i'll take care of myself or i have a house and that's how i'll, I'll make sure i don't go homeless mm-hmm. and it just wasn't necessary and for me I, for me it wasn't what i wanted either so mm. when that was all over with um, if you, you heard this, me and Slade talk about this, but uh, that's when I hit it up in Dallas, which people, as I said to Slade, people don't move from Austin to Dallas. Right, you move right. From Dallas to Austin. I get it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but that's where I found, that's where the next thing, that's where everything opened up. Mm-hmm. I like to call it my like nine month spiritual retreat to Dallas. Right. And where I was the most broke I've ever been in my entire life and totally taken care of in all sorts of amazing ways and, uh, and met these people who introduced me to Abraham, who I had seen and knew about, but I really just thought was silly because I was like, Abraham and Esther, like these, yeah, Bible names. Yeah, I get it. Like new age. We have to talk about the Bible because we can't be too. I didn't realize what it really was. Mm-hmm. I just was looking at the surface and thinking, oh, this is this is ridiculous. And then I went to a workshop and was like, oh, this is, oh, I'm a channel. This is what I do. Oh, I've been doing this all my life. The prior summer, I had told a friend of mine, there's going to come a time when I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, like, there's this thing that I know how to do that I can't remember right now. <laughs> and that's what it was. Wow. Because I did, I, when, I, when I quit that job, I kept walking around going, I know there's something, I, I know there's something that I know how to do but I can't remember what it is. And I know that, I know that there's something, it's not coaching. It's not this, it's not that it's something else. And I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of confused about, I mean, I wasn't upset about it. I just was like every time and then I would think, I wonder when I'm going to remember what it is. And then it was before I went to that workshop, but in that summer, um, summer of 07, I, I suddenly remembered and I had a, uh, a session with a friend of mine and the voice that speaks for me now in the way that it does came through. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd ever heard it like that and just announced itself and said, we're here and here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. Nice to finally, 
have you here? I guess I'm finally ready. Yeah. Why? How did you get ready? I didn't. You can't get ready. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no such thing as getting ready. <laughs> you're either ready or you're not ready. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. And when you're ready, you're ready. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually along with the other thing that I that I really love to talk about, which is essentially letting go and allowing. Yes. One of the aspects of that is that this we have we have an idea culturally because of the way we're educated, which I'm not blaming anyone for at all, but we have an idea that there, that like you're going to take a test on Friday. Mm -hmm. So on Monday, you should probably start getting your study notes together. And on Tuesday, you should probably call your friends and get together over cookies and have some study time. And then on Wednesday, you should probably write out little things on little cards. And then on Thursday, you should be prepared to sleep basically not sleep that night because then on Friday you have the test and then you'll be done and then you'll be really happy and Friday afternoon you go have two or three beers and you'll have this great weekend because you finished your test. We have this whole culture thing set up around it Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, that's the way we learn in school. And so we tend to then apply that to all these other things. And so in the quote unquote spiritual realm, the idea is like, well, I have to get ready. I have to prepare for this. No, you're either, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And it's not, (laughs) wrong if you're not doing it and it's not better if you are doing it you're just either doing it or you're not doing it and if you're not doing it you're not doing it and you can't accelerate it you can't push it but you can open and allow it and open up to it and let today be sufficient let today be just exactly the right day that concludes part one of this two-part conversation with Frank Butterfield. Can you let today be just exactly the right day? Wow. Let that one sink in. I think it's something for me to just sit with and ponder. (laughs) It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, it's really something to keep at the forefront of our minds. Can we just let be what's happening, what's happening and not try to control the moment and think that it needs to be something else. Wow. It's profound. Anyway, it gets even juicier in part two of our conversation, as I mentioned. And I do get to that question that I discussed with Slade about what Frank meant when he said, stop trying to manipulate the universe. So do check that out. It's uh, like I said, I just had my head shaking and <laughs> wow, I just felt like I was turned right upside down many times, many times when speaking to Frank. And whenever I listen to it, it just, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Now, what do you think of that? So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Please check out the next episode. I do hope you enjoyed this one. For show notes on this one, go to my website, leaderscalltoadventure.com forward slash 10. That's number 10. And if you like the episode, do rate it on iTunes, leave a review, and let me know what you think. You can reach me at laurie at leaderscalltoadventure.com. 